0: we're loud. Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25. Amen that our Lord lives. That He is not dead. He conquered the grave. One day we will see Him face to face. And we will just say thank you. That, that's going to be a good day. That's going to be a good day. So a year closes today. Another year starts tomorrow. And I was looking and I was like, man, what am I going to speak on? It's like the New Year's message. I'm like, I don't want to be tacky, but I was like, I wonder if, uh, in my mind, I'm like, what what haven't we studied in the Old Testament, like, about Jewish calendars, and I just love that historical type stuff, I'm like, oh, the year of Jubilee, I haven't really looked at that much, I wonder wonder what that's all about, so for a month or so, I've I've been looking at what the year of Jubilee is, and I've come across a couple interesting things that I kind of want to share with you today, so I think our purpose today is we're going to, one, look at what is the year of Jubilee in Jewish Um, customs. Then we're going to look at how it was a foreshadow of what the Messiah would do. And then we're going to look finally at some practical applications. How do we live out some of those principles that we've learned in today, in the modern age of being a Christian? Okay. So that's kind of where we're headed today. Hopefully we can get through all of it. All right. So before we begin, begin, let's uh, open the word of prayer. Lord my God, I give you so much thanks for this opportunity to come up front and, and share from your word. Lord, I pray that it be your words, not mine. For yours is the only one worthy to be listened to. I pray that all that is said and done will be glorified to you. That we may be from your scripture. May your Holy Spirit illuminate it to us this day. May you be glorified in all that is said and done. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So I don't know about you, but how many of you are very familiar with the... Uh, Year of celebration called Year of Jubilee and all that entails. How many of you are very familiar with that? Probably not many, because probably not many of you actually sit down and read through the book of Leviticus very often. It's not your go to book usually. Alright, when you're you're sure, I don't know what to read this month, Leviticus is not usually the go to book. It's usually like, you know, John or Romans or Ephesians is my go to book. Alright, it's it's not this one. So we're actually going to spend some time, we're going to read through a giant chunk of the scripture. So we actually want to know what the uh, year of Jubilee is about, and then we'll, we'll dive into some of its uh, lessons, all right? <clears throat> so Leviticus chapter 25, I don't want to start in verse 1, so I'll give you a little backlog for the first uh, eight verses. God made the heavens and the earth in six days, And and God made everything in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. He continued that tradition on into the Jewish customs. He said to his nation, all right, listen, you may work the land, you may sow, you may reap, you may be a farmer for six years. On the seventh year, you may not work the land. It must give it a rest. All right, you must give it a rest. But don't worry, on that sixth year, I'll give you so much food, so much abundance crops, that the seventh year, you won't have to worry about food. Take me on faith that I'll provide for you. And the seventh year, you rest. You don't need to work the land. I want the land to have a year off. The year of Jubilee, is that's where we're going to pick up now, okay? So, verse 8. Sorry, that seventh year is called the Sabbath year, all right? Just as the seventh day of the week, which is called the Sabbath day, day of rest. Every seven years, that seventh year was the Sabbath year. All right? So count off seven Sabbath of years. Seven times seven years. So that the seventh Sabbath of years amounts to the period of 49 years. You guys get that? Seven years of seven, 49 years. Okay? Then have the trumpets sounded everywhere on the tenth day of the seventh month on the day of atonement. Sound the trumpet throughout the land consecrate the 50th year and proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants it shall be a jubilee for you each one of you is to return to his family sorry each one of you is to return to his family's property and to each of you to his own clan the 50th year shall be a jubilee for you you shall not sow you shall not reap what grows of itself or harvest the unattended vines For it is a jubilee, and it is to be holy for you. Eat only what is taken directly from the fields. In this year of jubilee, everyone is to return to his own property. All right? So you got that. We have seven years. On the seventh year, we have a break. Let's do that seven times. They get you 49 years. After that period is over, the following year would be the 50th year. That is now your year of jubilee. That is now your year of celebration. That year is to be proclaimed as the year of liberty. And every single person was to go back home. This day, this um, year, this incoming of this, uh, I wouldn't really call it a festival, all right? This big tradition that they were going to go through, this big celebration, is a year long celebration. And what is the day that marks its beginning? It's the day of atonement. The day of what we call here Yom Kippur, all right? If you weren't familiar with that. So in the fall, when the Jews celebrate Yom Kippur, that was the day this was to be initiated. On the Day of Atonement, what happens on that day? That's the day when the high priest, once a year, can go into the Most Holy of Holies, can come directly into God's presence. He was to first offer up a bull. He was to sacrifice a bull. And that bull was to cover for the high priest's sins. Then he was to take two goats, right? One goat he would sacrifice on behalf of all the people's sins. And that was to um, make atonement to cover up the sins of the people and all that they had done that year. Then there was a second goat. And that goat was called the scapegoat. And that goat was supposed to be released into the wilderness as a picture of God forgiving, releasing, remembering no more the sins of the people. They were washed away. After that celebration was over... Well, what does the word jubilee mean? Jubilee, I always thought that jubilee meant, yay, party time, the celebration. Jubilee really means ram's horn. That's why I said, take a ram's horn, year of jubilee, year of the ram's horn, take the ram's horn and blow it loud, loud trumpets. Now, jubilee was also an exciting time, so it was an exciting year, so it's a year of celebration. So that's kind of, I think, why we get the word jubilee means, yay, excitement, let's go. All right? celebrate the year of the ram's horn, blow a loud trumpet after that part of the feast is over. After the Day of Atonement has been ushered in, announce this loud trumpet through a ram's horn to initiate this entire year is now in the year of Jubilee. Okay? And each one of you is to return back to your native land. So if you had moved away from your parents and from their homeland, you go back home. Okay. Let's keep reading. Verse 14. If you sell land to one of your countrymen or buy from him, do not take advantage of each other. You are to buy from your countrymen on the basis of the number of years since the Jubilee. And he is to sell to you on the basis of the number of years left of harvesting crops. When the years are many, you are to increase the price. And when the years are few, you are to decrease the price. Because what he is really selling you is the number of crops. Do not take advantage of each other, but fear the Lord your God. I am the Lord, your God. Follow my decrees and be careful to obey my laws. And you will live safely in the land, and the land will yield its fruit, and you will eat your fill and live in safety. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? I will send you such a blessing in the sixth year that the land will yield enough for three years. While you plant during the eighth year, you will eat from the old crop and continue to eat from it until the harvest of the ninth year comes in. The land must not be sold permanently, because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells some of his property to his nearest relative, is to come to redeem what the countryman has sold. If, however... A man has no one to redeem him, but he himself prospers and acquires sufficient means to redeem it. He is to determine the value for the years since he has sold it and refund the balance to the man whom he sold it. And he can go back to his own property. But if he does not acquire the means to repay him, what he sold will remain in the possession of the buyer until the year of Jubilee. It is to be returned in the year of Jubilee, and he can go back to his property. So do you guys get all of that. All right? Sounds a little confusing. Let me break it down for you. All right? Simply as this. When it says buy and sell land, it's not like here. All right? I bought a house. The house that I... Well, I don't fully own the house yet. I'll own the house in 2050. But (laughs) when I fully own that house, it'll be my house, my property, and anyone else's property. My land, right? Except for the state of Connecticut thinks it's still theirs if they want. But anyways, regardless of that, it's my property, my land. I never have to give it up. In tradition that God has put into place, all right, God says this, the land that you live in is not yours. It's actually mine. You're just aliens and tenants living in my space. And, And I want to bless you while you live there. So let's just say for a minute that I have this wonderful place. I got this big farm, big land. And Jared comes in. He's like, yo, yo, Brian. Can I buy from you a portion of that land? I want to own some of it. I want to work the land. I want to make some money off of it. I I, I, want to own my own property. I say, sure. And I sell him part of my land. It becomes his. He can build it. He can develop it. He can live on it. He can harvest it. But in the year that the year of Jubilee arrives, guess what happens? It's not his anymore. It's mine again. So is that really buying? It's more like a, like a long term rental, all right. In a rental property, you never really own a property; it always belongs to the original person. That's kind of how it was here. So if Jared wanted to purchase a piece of land, and develop it and harvest it, he would whatever he does to that, he would reap the benefits of it, goes to him. But he's paying me a long term rental. So if there were forty years left to the year of Jubilee, well, that's a long time for him to prosper and, and profit from that land. So I'm going to charge him. I'm going to sell him the land for a lot of money. If there are only two or three years left to the year of Jubilee, should I sell it to him for a large amount of money? Well, no, he's only got a few years left to work that land before I regain possession of it. So the year... So uh, the Jews, okay, it's like a long-term rental. All right? If you bought or sold things. What if you couldn't afford to keep your land going? What if you... Needed money badly. And you had to sell your property and you didn't want to. Shoot, I can't no longer afford to live here. I, I, I've fallen into maybe debt. And I can't pay off my debt. You can, one, sell off your property. You can sell off your property. But in the 50th year, that property will come back to you. Your debt's forgiven. You could also, as we'll read in a second, you could sell yourself. You could sell yourself. If you have nothing else to give, what left do you have? You can sell yourself as a, a servant. And we'll continue read on what, what goes on there, okay? i try to pick my Bible up and figure out where I'm at. My bookmarker's going out too. Leviticus 25. All right. We're going to skip verses 29 through 34 because it's talking about some exceptions. All right, but we'll go on to verse 35. Verse 35. If one of your countrymen becomes poor and is unable to support himself among you, help him as you would an alien or a temporary resident so, it can be, so he can continue to live among you. Do not take interest of any kind from him, but fear your God so that your countrymen may continue to live among you. You must not lend him money at interest or sell him food at a profit. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt to give you the land of Canaan to be your God. If one of your countrymen becomes poor among you and sells himself to you, do not make him work as a slave. He is to be treated as a hired worker or a temporary resident living among you. He is to work for you until the year of Jubilee. Then he and his children are to be released and he will go back to his own clan, to his own property of his forefathers. Because Israel, because the Israelites are my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, they must not be sold as slaves. Do not rule over them ruthlessly, but fear your God. Your male and female slaves are to come from the nations around you. From them you may buy slaves. You may also buy from them temporary... Uh, you must... Sorry. You may also buy some of the temporary residents living among you, and the members of your clans born in your country and they will become your property. Uh, You can will them to your children as inherited property and can make them slaves for life, but you must not rule over them as your fellow Israelites ruthlessly. If an alien or temporary resident among you becomes rich and one of your countrymen becomes poor and sells himself to the alien living among you and to your member of the alien's clan, he retains the right of redemption after he has sold himself. One of his relatives may redeem him an uncle or a cousin or any blood relative of his clan may redeem him or if he prospers he may redeem himself is sorry he and his buyer are to count the time from the year he is sold up until the year of jubilee the price for his release is to be based on the rate paid as a hired man for a number of years if the years remain he must pay sorry if many years remain he must pay for his redemption a larger share of the price paid for him if only a few years remain until the year of jubilee, he is to compute that. Sorry, he is to compute that and pay for his redemption accordingly. He is to be treated as a hired man from a year to sorry from year to year. You must see to it that his owner does not rule over him ruthlessly. Even if he is not redeemed in any of these ways, he and his children are to be released in the year of jubilee. For the Israelites belong to me as servants. They are to be my servants, whom I brought out of Egypt, and I am the Lord your God. Give me a second, sorry. So, in this, a few things we see. One, in the year of Jubilee, they have just gone through the seventh year of the Sabbath year. They did not plant, they did not harvest, they did not reap. In comes the year of Jubilee. Marked off by the Day of Atonement. Again, for another full year, they're not to harvest, they're not to reap. Two years straight, no planting, no harvesting. You are to return in that year back to your property, your original forefathers. When God originally separated the tribes and said, listen, I want the Benjamites over here, I want the... Levites over here, and he separated all the tribes, you're going to go back to your land, to your your father, father's, and reclaim the land that was yours, if you sold it. If you didn't sell it, well, it's already still yours. But If you did sell it, you rented it out, alright, it's now back yours again. If you fell into debt, your debt's forgiven, wiped clean, go back to your own land again. If you sold yourself because your debt was too great, and you became a slave, or a servant. Sorry, better. He, he does clarify here. If you go into so much debt that you had to sell yourself into slavery. Sorry, again, I said it. Into servanthood, your debt, again, is wiped free. And you and your entire family, if you happen to have a family, because 50 years is a long time. All right, You may even have a family at that time. If your family went with you into servanthood, you are also w- set free, debt free. Go back home. That's huge! Could you imagine if all of a sudden someone came to me, and House is paid off, done deal. You owe nothing. I'm like, yeah, day of celebration. All right, that would be a huge day in my my ham, my family. This year was a long expected, long waited for year. The people in Israel looked forward to this year coming. It came probably once in your lifetime. This was a big day when it came. This year was long expected. People wanted this day to arrive. How does this apply to our Savior? Okay. Well, this year was a picture, a foreshadow of a time when God would send his favor on mankind. And he would return and fix the depravity of man on this earth. Where do we see that? Turn with me to Isaiah 61. You may already know where I'm going with this. Isaiah 61. The Lord Jesus, when he started his public ministry, after he was baptized, after he was tempted, he went to the synagogue and he read this. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. Now we know that this is prophetic. This is talking about the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. When Jesus Christ came back, It was to fulfill, to usher in an era where people who were slaves, who were under bondage, who were captive, you are free now. You are free. And we're going to look at exactly what that means in a little bit, okay? But Jesus Christ came, the year of Jubilee was a foreshadow, a picture of what the Messiah would bring in. The year of Jubilee was a big deal to the Jews. A long expected time where we are free from debt. We are free from uh, anything that we may know. Maybe servanthood. We are free. We can Go back home. Reclaim what we have. A year of happiness. A year of celebration. That is a picture of the, the, the great error that the Messiah would usher in. We know that the Messiah came to remove the sin. Remove, we'll talk about the debt that we paid, that we owed. As children of God, we now live in freedom. And we're going to dive into some of these verses, alright? Turn to me to Romans chapter 8. I want to look at how Jesus Christ kind of fulfilled the shadow of what the year of Jubilee did. Just as the year of Jubilee was a time where people were set free, what did Jesus Christ do for us? Romans 8. Sorry. God should beat me there. not supposed to beat the preacher to the reference. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law... Of the spirit of life, set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son, in the likeness of sinful man, to be a sin offering. And so He condemns sin in sinful men, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the sinful nature. But according to the Spirit. Jesus Christ came to give us all a fresh start. He came to wipe out our sin debt. He came so that we might not have, that we might not be condemned anymore. That we might not be condemned anymore. We have been set free in Jesus Christ. The law that bound us is no longer one of my shackles. go to Galatians 5. I just want to read a few verses. Galatians 5. Verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. See, Jesus Christ, when he came, he set us free. Literally, he set us free in two ways. All right? He set us free positionally, and He set us free physically. Alright, well, what do I mean by that? Let's do positionally first. How did He set me free? See, we know that there are two paths. There's the, the narrow path, and then there's the broad path. And we know from Scripture that the broad path leads into destruction, but the narrow path leads into eternal life. There's two roads. You're either on the broad path, going to hell, or you're on the narrow path, going to heaven. There's no in-between ground. And it says in Scripture that all mankind is on that broad path. We're all bound to hell. That's where we're going because of our own sin. But Jesus Christ set me free from that path, picked me up. You're no longer over here. You're now over here headed to heaven because you've accepted my son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You've accepted him. I've taken you out of the place where you're going to be condemned. You're on your way to hell. I've picked you up put you into a path where you're no longer condemned. You are now set free from that. That's my position in Christ. I'm no longer on that broad path. I'm now on that narrow path. But physically, he's also set me free from the sin that I am forced to commit. See, unbelievers, you know what, in school, I ask my students not to swear. I ask my students not to steal. I ask them not to bully each other. I'm asking a bunch of sinners not to sin. That's all they know. I can choose not to do that because I had the spirit of life live in me. He has set me free from that. Do I still have the sin nature and want to do those things? Yes, but I don't have to anymore because, in the power of Christ, I can actually, for once, appease God. I can please my Savior. I can do what's right in God's eyes for the first time. The rest of the world, they can't do that. They're blind to that. They have no ability to please God. I am set free from sinning. Don't have to do it anymore. I can, for once, do the right thing in God's eyes. I can choose that. So He set me free in a way that I'm no longer on a broad path. Positionally, I'm now on a head path going to heaven. And He's also set me free from, I can now live by the fruit of the Spirit. I can do the right thing. Never before could you do that. You you couldn't. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Colossians chapter 2. So turn over five pages to the words of the back. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. If you don't have that, if you if you're an underliner, this is one of those verses you're going to want to underline. If you're not an underliner, get a pen. This is one of the ones you're going to want to underline. Okay? Colossians 2:13 When you were dead in your sins and in the an uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us of all our sins having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Jesus Christ took your sins and your debt and nailed it to the cross. The Jews... All right, The Israelites sometimes fell into great debt. So much so that they had to sell themselves. or They had to sell all their property. Everything they owned, they had to give it up. They even had to sell themselves to work as a servant for the rest of their time until the year of Jubilee. If you're not saved, if you have not trusted Jesus Christ with your, as your Lord and Savior, you are currently right now a slave to sin. You have no choice about it. That's just how it is. That's what the Bible says. But Jesus Christ came to fix that. He came to set you free. He forgave us of our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. I found a few other translations I want to read to you. I'm just going to pick it up in the middle here, okay? Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which was against us, by canceling the record of your debt that stood against you. Having canceled the debt that was ascribed to us in the degrees that stood against us. This is my favorite one. He erased the certificate of death with its obligations that stood against you. Can you picture that? Right now, my mortgage is my debt. I am forever bound to this Payment every single month for the next 25 years of my life. The debtor is a slave to the debtor. No, the deady. I don't remember. If you owe money to someone, you're a slave to that person until you pay it off. You must pay every single month or they come and take your stuff away. I am a slave to that person that has lent me money. Jesus Christ took that piece of paper, which was my sin and the debt that I owed, what's the debt for my sin? What are the obligations to go with my sin? Death. He took the consequences. He took the piece of paper that says, Brian McWilliam has sinned, therefore deserves death and hell forever. He took that, nailed it to the cross, and fulfilled it for me, so I don't have to do it. He did that for you. He canceled your debt. Paid it off. You are debt-free in Christ. I, I get shivers when I think about it. I really do. It just blows me away. Praise God. Praise God. He paid the debt I couldn't pay. And the only way for me to pay it was to physically die and be condemned to hell forever. What kind of payment is that? That, 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 that stinks. There's nothing I could have done to fix it. He did it for me. He took my sin debt, <coughs> nailed that certificate to the cross, saying, paid in full in my blood. Praise God. Praise God. And he did it for you. Have you accepted that? <laughs> Sorry. i was just trying to catch my breath. Now we also saw in there that if you were sold as a servant, if you sold your property, you had a chance to buy it back. So say, Jared, I sold Jared my property. He's developed it. He's working it. The year of Jubilee hasn't come yet. And I'd be like, you know what? I know it's my property, and I could wait the next 10 years for me eventually to get it back. But, you know, I really want it now. Uh, you know, Jared, you've been a great tenant. Sorry, buddy. I'm going to evict you. I want my land back. I'm not going to kick him out. I'm going to pay him off. The amount of money that he paid me to rent my property, well, there's ten years left. That's about half of the time that you've had, so here, here's half of your money back. I could redeem, I could buy back my property. See, we talk about redemption all the time as Christians. all right? And I've never really understood. I know what it, I know it means to buy back, that Jesus Christ bought me back, but I never understood it through the, the legal terms of the, the Jewish society. If I sold my property... I could buy back my property early, if I don't want to wait till the year of Jubilee, if I had to sell myself as a slave because I was so far deep into debt that I had to sell myself as a slave, if as a hired worker, I may have earned some wages, or maybe a relative passed away and I got an inheritance, I could purchase my life back and give my owner, my debtor, the amount of money that remains For that next 15 years, 10 years, however much time I owed to the year of Jubilee, I could pay myself off. If I couldn't, though, if I couldn't pay it off, back to Leviticus. I was going to pick up in the middle of it. Let's just go to verse 48. He retains the right of redemption after he has sold himself. Meaning that after you sell yourself, you still have the ability to buy yourself back, right? One of his relatives may redeem him. An uncle or a cousin or any blood relative of his clan may redeem him. It is possible for someone else to come along to pay off your debt to pay off your remaining time as a servant and set you free. That was possible too. Now who who had it who who had it to be? Who who must it have been? It had to be a relative, a kinsman, it had to be someone in your blood family to do it. Interesting. Interesting. I just I, I just find it interesting that Jesus Christ turned with me to Galatians chapter four again. Sorry, I should have told you to put your finger there. Galatians chapter 4. This is this we're tying into Christmas now, too. We're getting New Year's. We're getting Christmas. We're, we're bringing it all packaged together here. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman. Christmas here, guys, right? When, when the fullness of time had come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive full rights as sons. See, Jesus Christ came into this world as a human. He became family, one of us. He became flesh and blood, and He redeemed us. He redeemed us. He brought us back. How did he do that? I love this verse. I'm just going to, I'll, I'll, I'll turn it for you, unless you want to go with me. Psalms 49. All right, but I'll read it if you want to. I'll it fast. Psalm 49 in verse 7. It says this. No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough that he should live on forever and not see decay. Other translations don't say life, they say soul. That no man can redeem the soul of another or give God a ransom for him. The ransom for a soul is costly. See, when we're talking about the year of Jubilee, we're talking about all physical, monetary, earthly stuff. Your soul, though, is spiritual. Sure, I could pay off the debt of my house. I could pay off the debt of my car. Can I pay off the debt of my soul? Can any one of you redeem, pay the price, buy back the debt that my soul owes to God? Can't do it. The cost of one soul is costly. It is expensive, and it's more expensive than any of us could ever afford. It's more expensive than the entire world, mankind, all of its money added up, can't pay it off. It's not enough. The only way to pay off the debt for one's soul, to redeem one's soul, is Jesus Christ. He had to die. He had to give up his life to pay for mine. That was the cost. See, when someone redeemed one as a servant, when someone redeemed a property, they took out their checkbook, flapped down a check. Jesus Christ couldn't take out a checkbook. There was no money he could pay. The only monetary thing that would work to appease a God who was righteously upset and raffle against sin was to die. He had to give up his life. He had to endure the wrath of God to appease, to make right the debt that I owed. He had to do it. That was the only way possible. So God instituted thousands of years in the past the method, the system, by which you could buy things back. He fulfilled that in completion by redeeming our souls. Now, how do we take some of these principles and apply them into everyday life? Well, I just want to go back. Go back to Leviticus. I'm sorry. I catch you guys all over the place today. There it is. Leviticus 25. Verse 20. 25-20. You may ask, what will we eat in the seventh year if we do not plant or harvest our crops? Do you guys fully grasp this? See, the Jews, God asked them. God asked the Israelites, okay, Plant your stuff we'll just look at the the last set of the seventh years okay so the last set we got six years we can grow we can plant we can harvest the seventh year is now the Sabbath year can't seed can't sow can't reap the year after that is now the year of jubilee I can't sow I can't reap I can't gather food up so there's two years back to back I can't grow anything I can't reap anything can't harvest anything all right, the next year I can start growing things. If you've been a farmer at all, once you plant something in the ground, can you eat it? No, you got to wait basically a full year. So the Jews are like, okay, God, um, basically, you don't want me to get any food for three years. You want me to survive for three years on the crop that I get from the last year that I can grow things, which is the sixth year. So for the seventh year, the year Sabbath, I can't collect food, can't grow food. The eighth year, can't grow food, can't collect food. The ninth year, I can now grow food, but I can't eat it yet because it hasn't grown yet. So for three years, basically, Lord, three growing seasons, you're asking me to trust that you'll provide for the past. Could you imagine God doing it today? Hey, I want you guys to work for six years. In that sixth year, I'll give you enough money to, to, to survive for three more years. Could you imagine? I'd have a hard time with that one, God. Because I have a hard time saving enough money to get through the next two months if I went out of work. Let alone three years of supply of finances. That'd be hard. The Jews struggled Dad. with that a lot. They really, the Israelites struggled with trusting God for three years to not have to grow or buy food because he was going to give them so much. Do you have enough faith that you don't have to worry about your future? that you know that God has got it covered. Now, did that mean for the Israelite nations that they didn't have to work? No, they had to work. They had to sow. They had to, they had to do their part. But God says, listen, if you step out in faith and you do your part, for three years, I will give you so much food that last year of harvest that you will be more than well fed. Just trust in me. I got this. Do you, do you live your life that way? you live your life that way. I want to share with you, for the last seven minutes that I got, share with you a story um, that I kind of witnessed growing up. up at Parkside Ranch. And how this was actually lived out in one man's life, or one family's life, and how I got to, I got to see this unfold. All right? So bear with me. Just, I, I want to give you guys a practical example of someone who lived their life out this way, and it actually came through in fruition, that God provided for them. Every way, every shape or form, and they never went hungry. So, Fred and Jean Warnholtz, they were not Fred and Jean Warnholtz originally, um, they met at Emmaus Bible College. At the time, it was in Ontario. They were both Ontarioites. Canada, guys. Okay, Canada. My homeland. Half homeland. All right. Emmaus Bible College started in Ontario. Fred and Jean Warnholtz went out there in the 50s to go to school. They graduated, fell in love. And they got married. Once they graduated school and got married, it was their desire to move to this foreign province. They had a desire to move to a foreign province and be missionaries in Quebec. French land. They didn't speak French at all. This is a weird thing. Alright. Move to French land. Let's be missionaries out there. And let's serve the Lord and try and preach the good news to those living out there. So they moved to this little town in Orford. Okay? And they started preaching the gospel. There was no church there at the time. It was all what we probably call redneck country. All right. They don't call them rednecks up there, but it was like this, this, this is, you know, this is not the well educated area, okay? And they moved in there and they started to preach the gospel. They had a few converts. They had people come out from Montreal to do, um, gospel outreaches. And they said, hey, we got, we got a few people now that are, are, are saved. We got a few believers here. Let's start a church. So they built a small little church. You could probably fit four of the churches inside this, inside this one room here. Like I'm talking tiny. Okay, You've got 30 people in there and you're like this up against each other. Tiny little building. At the time, Fred couldn't make ends meet being a missionary, so he had to go out and get a job. So he was working a full-time job to try and make ends meet and also um, trying to work for the Lord. The... <laughs> he felt burdened that, wait a minute, wouldn't it be great if we had a place for youth and other people to come out and hear the gospel for a whole week long, like a summer camp type thing. So he and his wife prayed. They didn't tell anybody about their desire. They simply prayed that if God wanted them to start a ministry of a camp or having a facility where people can come and hear the gospel and, and do outdoor activities at the same time, that he would provide. Kind of threw out a fleece. They didn't, they didn't tell anyone. A week later, Random anonymous check came in from Pennsylvania. Didn't know the people. Anonymous check to them. Here's $10. This is 1962. Here's $10 to start your camp. Your Christian camp. And you're like, okay, Lord. This is it. They didn't tell anyone. They just simply prayed. Check showed up in the mail. $10. And you're like, $10, what do you do? That's like $300 to them at the time. Money was worth more, but still. $10. And from that $10... They took their house, put a second mortgage on their house, and said, listen, the Lord has given us a fleece. he has shown us a sign. This is it. We prayed for it. He's given us a sign. Let's jump in. Take a leap of faith. They went out. They put a second mortgage on their house, and they bought a, a piece of property. Way more than they could possibly afford. Bought a nice piece of property. Saying, that, listen, the Lord wants us to do this. He's given us the sign. Let's step forth and do it. As soon as they purchased the land, Fred loses his job. He worked at textile, textile, one under. He's like, well, Lord, you obviously know what you're doing here. I'm going to step out in faith, just like the Jews had to trust you. I'm going to trust you too. Two, three months go by, all their savings 100% depleted. They can't pay the mortgage anymore because they've been using their savings to pay up. All right, God, what are you going to do? They pray, they pray, they pray. Ultimately, it comes to the point where, all right, obviously, God, you don't want us here. Let's sell the land and try and get out, just make ends meet maybe. They're about to do that. A government engineer walks into the property. Hey, Fred, um, how would you like to sell some of your land? He's like, I don't really want to sell my land. No, no, I don't mean sell your land. See, we're trying to build a new highway. They didn't have a highway up there, okay? We're trying to build a new highway. And we need gravel. Would you mind if I came in and did a survey of your land to see if you have good gravel and stand to build a highway out of? And he goes back and says, no. Give me me a night to pray about it first. He goes back, opens his Bible up, opens his Bible up, loves this. And he reads, he reads in this section, Deuteronomy chapter 6, just opens it up. Observe the commandments that the Lord your God has given you, walking in obedience to him and revere him. All right, this is Deuteronomy 8, 6. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a land, a land with brooks, streams, and deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey, a land where the bread will not be scarce, and you will lack nothing. And Fred's like, okay, Lord, I'm lacking here right now. What's the deal? It'll be a land where the rocks are iron, and you can dig copper out of the hills. And he's like, well, Lord, I don't have copper, and I don't have iron, but I have gravel and sand. The government contractor came back the next day, and Fred's like, all right, I'll sell he kept his acreage, but they came in with huge bucket loaders and removed huge amounts of material to build a highway. Paid him cash for every truckload going out. Just enough to pay off the entire mortgage. Property paid off in full. So, uh, amazing. They never asked anybody, never say anybody. They never sent out letters to people saying, Hey, we're in financial crisis. Send us money, please. What did they do? They just prayed. They just prayed. And God provided more than enough to pay off the mortgage. Then, there's, okay, so we have our property now. It's paid off. Excellent. What do you want to do with it? They started having people come out in tents, staying in the fields, renting and playing games in the fields. And wouldn't it wouldn't be great if we had like an area where we can actually like, cook food that's not on a fire. Like we actually had a kitchen maybe. So they pray about putting up a kitchen. Again, not telling people about it. Just praying, the two of them, of Jean, just praying about it. And, and a few other workers that have come along with they just simply prayed about it. The local ski resort is updating their facilities. They see Fred and Gene down in the valley doing some work. They said, hey, because you know, small town, everybody knows each other. Hey, we want to update our facilities here. Do you want our old ski lodge? We're tearing it down. If you come remove it, you can have everything. They didn't tell anyone, just prayed about it. Take all the stuff out of there. A local sawmill guy, Christian sawmill guy, is like, hey, I see you building over there. Do you need some lumber? The guy's like, yeah. Oh, I see you got plenty of uh, hemlock trees in your forest. How about I come cut down your trees? I'll mill them up for you so you have some lumber to help build this, this new place that you're building. Free of charge, everything paid for. All they did is pray. All they did is pray. And they got their main building there with the kitchen in it now all they have, all free of charge pretty much. At times, they did need money. They went to the bank. The bank said, you have no job. You have no income. We ain't giving you a dime. And I was like, oh, man, what are we going to do? And every time Fred realized this, he's like, I was foolish. Why did I even bother going to the bank? All I should have done is pray. When he prayed, money showed up in the the mailbox the very next day. He said it was amazing. In 1976, the Summer (laughs) Olympic Games were held in Montreal. So the year before, uh, a bunch of Canadian Christians, a bunch of American Christians said, hey, we're going to flock, we're going to swamp, we're going to override the Olympics with Christian literature, outreach, let's, let's take this and use this event for God. So they called Fred and said, hey, Fred, you've got a large property, we want to stay there. He's like, okay, how many of you? He's like, two, three hundred. He's like, two. we're living in tents outside in the field right now. Two, three hundred of you? And i got to feed all of you? All right?" He's like, I've got a kitchen, I guess I can work out. So for a year, they prayed. Lord, we need, like, we need somewhere to house all these people. And you know what? Since we're doing outreach with youth, it'd be great to have a gymnasium too. The two of them prayed again. They prayed and they prayed. A week later, a check from, again, another random anonymous person. Here's $100 for your new recreation facility and your dormitories. Never told a soul. Just simply prayed. God will provide everything if you trust in Him. Now, do you have to work? Can you go home, lie on the couch, and be a slouch? No! God expects us to work. He expects us to serve Him. The theme verse that Fred had his whole life was a verse that I've never forgotten since he told me. Matthew 6.33 I'll just go to read it so I'm not screw it up. Matthew 6.33 If you're not familiar with Matthew chapter 6, it's the section where people are like, well, Lord, I'm on the road here doing your work, serving you. Uh, Are you going to feed me? Are you going to take care of me? Are you going to clothe me? And the Lord says, listen, don't you see the birds of the air? They got plenty of food. Don't you see the lilies of the field? Doesn't my heavenly Father take care of them more than anything else? Yeah, I too will take care of you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Okay, If it's not underlined, again, I'm in Mark. That's why it's not making sense. Matthew 6, sorry. Like, what is it? Matthew six thirty three. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you guys comprehend what that verse means? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you as well. Another translation says this. But first, be concerned about His kingdom and what has His approval. Before all else in your life, are you concerned with God's work and ministry here on earth? Is that your first priority? Is that priority above your family? Is that priority above your friends? Is that priority above your job? You know what, Lord? I'm here on this earth. You're granting me permission to be here, to continue living down here. You saved me. You've done so much for me. I'm eternally in debt for you. What do you want me to do? Look after my sheep. Serve me. Work for me. Take care and further my kingdom. Is that actually one of your goals? Is that one of your top priorities is to serve God and further His kingdom? If that is a top priority in your life, God, I want to see your kingdom grow. I want to preach the good news. I want to live out a good example of you on this earth to live a life worthy of the calling you've given me. Then what does he say in return? All these things will be added unto you. You will not have to worry about clothing. You will not have to worry about food. You will not have to worry about shelter. Because God will provide. If God's work done God's way will receive God's blessing. God's work done God's way will receive God's blessing. You won't have to worry about things. You might think your things are crazy. You don't have money. You don't have the resources to do these things. God will provide. God will provide. And Fred has lived by that verse his entire time until he passed away. And I just, I, 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 lo- I saw it come through. I saw a man for 50 years. I wasn't alive for 50 years, but I saw his I saw the fruit of his labor. For 50 years, God provided everything he ever needed because he simply prayed and stepped out in faith that God would do it. Do we live like that? The Israelites had to trust God that he would provide enough food for them for three years. Do we trust God to take care of the things that we need to? Some of us in this room have seen God do amazing things and provide for in ways that we would never even expect or even know. God healing people, God providing finances. God can do amazing things. But you know what? Sometimes you need to be seeking his kingdom first. Do you actually care about what he cares about? Or do you care about number one only, me, myself, and I? Is that what you're concerned about? Let's close to prayer. Lord God, our Father, I give you so much thanks that your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to set me free. That he came to redeem us, to buy back our souls, and Lord, we know from your word that it is costly to pay for a soul. And the cost was so great that it cost you your son's life. I thank you that you went through with that. You didn't back down. You didn't get to the cross and say, no, no I really don't want to do this. And, and get down and walk away. Well, you certainly could have. You chose to go through with it. You finished the work that you started. And the consequence of the work that you finished is me being redeemed. I thank you, Lord. I pray that for the rest of our days, we would seek first your kingdom. To seek what has your approval. And I pray that we would trust in faith that you'll provide for the things that we need. Because, Lord, there's nothing more valuable than souls being saved. Lord, we thank You for loving us. We thank You for dying for us. In Your Son's name we pray. Amen. Have a blessed New Year.